in July of last year, we started and introduced this idea of secretly incredible. In the book Love Does by Bob Goff, he coins this term secretly incredible. He says, real heroes don't wear flashy capes. And then Bob Goff references Jesus and how often he told the people to keep his miracles silent and, and to not tell anybody about them, which is so much different than what we would think of today. Jesus would raise a young girl from the dead and say, tell no one. Then he would heal a man of leprosy and say, don't tell anyone. He would give sight to the blind and say, tell no one. And in a world that we live in right now that is driven by self-promotion and branding, Jesus modeled something so very different for us. Jesus was saying to them, instead of telling people about what you're doing all the time, there's a better way. And maybe Jesus wants us to be secretly incredible too. This is what Bob Goff says. He says, being secretly incredible goes against the trend that says to do anything incredible, you have to buy furniture and a laptop, start an organization to get a tax ID number and a tax-exempt ta status, have a mission statement, and, and uh, labor endlessly over a statement of faith too. But is all that really necessary? The truth is, maybe the task would be even nobler if we didn't talk about it. Instead, we just did it. See, Jesus didn't post video clips of his sermons with a little personalized logo down at the bottom. Jesus modeled that we don't need to talk about all that we have done. And secretly incredible people keep what they've done one of God's best kept secrets because the only one that needs to know already knows. God loves the humble ones. God says he rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the humble ones don't often make it as a first-round draft pick. They don't often get mentioned for the big promotion or position. The Bible tells us of many secretly incredible people. In fact, some of them are so secret that we don't ever even learn their names. And last time we talked about some friends that brought a paralyzed man to Jesus and, and lifted him down through the roof. We talked about the widow and her might. We talked about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed. And part four, we mentioned the, four, the, the wise men that traveled to bring King Jesus' gifts and to celebrate his birth. So in this next installment of Secretly Incredible, Josh Weddle and I have worked together to form this series, and we're going to highlight some more lesser-known characters of the Bible that had amazing parts to play in God's story. Now here's a question, you ready? This is the audience participation part. Have you ever met someone that you just can't trust, right? This may even be someone that you sincerely care about. You know that they even have good intentions, but they never seem to do anything that they say they will. Hey, I'll call you right back. Hey, we need to have dinner this week. I'll be there at 5.30 doesn't matter what they say, you always, in the back of your mind, whenever they tell you something, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, right, I'm sure you will. Every time they say the simplest thing, or maybe they're that person that after everything they tell you, they try and affirm it with a promise. I'll take out the trash, mom, I promise. Or I promise I'll leave 
Uh, stop leaving my socks on the floor, honey. I promise. A, rule, a good rule of thumb to live by whenever someone says the phrase, I promise, is to make preparations to do that thing yourself. But what happened to the idea of following through with what we tell people? Keeping promises creates heroes. Keeping promises creates heroes. A soldier that promises his life to his country and does everything within him to accomplish the mission. Or how about a wife that stays true to her husband that is completely debilitated by Lou Gehrig's disease? He cannot return any love whatsoever to his wife, and she gets nothing in return for her undying love. But she continues to take care of him as if he were an infant. Sometimes following through on your promises takes unimaginable dedication. We're going to talk about a time when King David decided to keep a promise. Now, obviously, King David is not a lesser-known character in the Bible. But in this account, there was another young man who had an amazing part to play. If you turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, if you see in your row there's uh, these black books, those are Bibles. And if you want to grab one of them and you can turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 9, that is in the Old Testament and it's directly before 2 Samuel. That should help you. So we're going to read all 13 of these verses, so make sure you keep your brain on, okay? Sometimes when we uh, read the Bible or really read anything, sometimes we can just kind of, you know, go into our own little uh, fantasy world, but let's keep these uh, verses right on the front of our brain. We're going to see in these verses that David has finally become king after years of being chased by Saul. His life could not be better at that point. Perfectenschlag. He remembers a promise that he made to Saul's son, his best friend in the world, Jonathan. He promised Jonathan that after he died, he would always show kindness to his family. But Jonathan was dead, right? He was long gone. There was no reason that he actually had to keep this promise. Jonathan would have never known the difference, but David still upheld the promise. Verse 1, you ready? And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Now remember, that's that same Saul that had run around, chasing him down, trying to kill him for years and years and years. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, is there not someone still of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Matcher, the son of Amuel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Matcher, the son of Amuel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, 
and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage to him. And uh, what is your servant that you should regard for such a dead dog as I? And then kings, uh, and then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all of his house have I given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all the Lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servant. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he's lame in both his feet. That's an amazing story. And I know, like I said, it, 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 you could kind of get lost in there every once in a while. And then you can kind of get distracted by the fact that I'm probably pronouncing most of these words wrong, about 50%. But in these verses, David summoned the former son of Saul, Ziba. And he asked Ziba if he knew any surviving members of Saul's and Jonathan's house. And Ziba said, yes, Jonathan's son, the lame boy. Now, as terrible as this sounds, kings of that day did not want people with any deformities or any disabilities in their palace. They thought that was below them. And Mephibosheth, when he was five years old, was dropped by his nurse as she fled from the Philistines after they had killed Jonathan, his father, and Saul, his grandfather. And when he was dropped, he broke both ankles, and he was never able to walk again. Now, Mephibosheth lived in the city of Lodabar, and that word Lodabar literally means no words or no thing. That wasn't a compliment. This is nothingville, right? That's where he's from. No words to describe it. It was basically nothing. In their culture, this was not an appealing guest for the king's palace. Now, David could have decided that instead of bringing him into the palace, he was going to pay for an apartment there in Lodabar. He could have given Mephibosheth a pension, but instead he gave him a place. Why? Because he made Jonathan a promise. A place at the king's table he gave him. Just like like he was one of the king's sons. And not only that, he restored all of the inheritance that he would have gotten from his grandfather, King Saul. Now, from Mephibosheth's perspective, it must have felt like he had just won the lottery. His situation changed overnight. Mephibosheth had nothing that he could offer the king. David got no personal gain from treating him like a son and restoring his inheritance. Following through makes heroes. Now, fast forward 15 years into the future. Mephibosheth had been at the king's table for 15 years. David had done all of this for him. But Absalom, David's son, leads a rebellion against his father's kingdom. It's a mutiny. The servant Ziba flees with David, but he has some bad news for David. He said Mephibosheth sided with the rebellion. What? 
How can this be? After all David had done for him. Now, after Absalom dies, David returns to Jerusalem. Mephibosheth tells a different side of the story. Mephibosheth says that Ziba left him behind. Now, who's telling the truth? Did Mephibosheth side with Absalom or did Ziba just leave him behind? The truth is we never find out. We don't ever see David ask that question. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Because Mephibosheth's place in the palace does not depend on his behavior but a promise. Why is David so loyal? How can David be so loyal? Mephibosheth brings nothing to the table, but he takes much. Where does David come up with the strength to follow through with this promise? David would tell us that it's not about him, that it's about God. In verse 3, it said uh, that he did it with the purpose to show the kindness of God. See, God sets the standards on keeping covenants. God had kept so many promises to David, and God is a covenant-keeping God. Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Now therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is a covenant-keeping God. The Hebrew word for covenant means a solemn agreement with binding force. That is the God that you served. If you were to follow God's promises all the way through the Bible, you would have to start at Genesis and follow the promises all the way through to Revelation. Take Noah, for instance. Think of that rainbow as a symbol of a promise kept even to this day that God would never flood the earth again. Now, astronauts tell us that a rainbow is actually a complete ring, a circle. And much like a wedding band, God's covenants are unending and unbroken. Remember, as we stare into the vast expanse of stars, the promise that God made Abraham, a man with no children in his hundreds, that his descendants would match the stars of the universe. Over and over again, we see the promises that God has laid out and kept. And the only promises that God hasn't kept yet are the ones that will happen in the future. There's thousands of promises of God. And God always follows through. Look at Noah, look at Abraham, or even look in the mirror. God has kept so many promises to you as well. Now this is an incredible story. The life of Mephibosheth is a whirlwind. And if you think about it, though, Mephibosheth's story looks a lot like your story. Were you not born hobbled because of the sin of Adam and Eve? Did God not uh, find us struggling in the desert of Lodabar, nothingville, nothing in our future? But then came a holy messenger. Could have been your Sunday school teacher, a close friend in high school, your uncle. For me, it was my pastor after a service in 1993 when I was only eight years old. They had big news that you're not going to believe this, but the king has a place for you at his table. The chair's already empty. He's waiting for you. He wants you in his family. It's not about what we could offer God. We didn't impress him. In fact, some would say that we're not even fit for the palace. But our place in the palace does not 
depend on behavior, but a promise. And the only reason we were invited and now sit at the table of the king is because God keeps his promises. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promises? Even back as early as Genesis, God began to tell the story of a coming Messiah, a savior, a rescuer, and God always follows through. And we are never more like God than when we follow through with our covenants. Keeping promises, following through, that sets us apart from the world that gives up when things get inconvenient or they change their mind. But if you want to stick out and be different in this world, give your word only when you mean it and always follow through. Mephibosheth is not a common name that we think about from the Bible. But his life is secretly incredible. His life was used as an Old Testament picture of what Christ does for us. Mephibosheth brought nothing to the table. And David didn't gain anything by keeping that promise. We need to remember that God doesn't need me. God rescued me solely based on his goodness. Not at all because of my merit. God keeps his promises, and we should too. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, as the worship band comes, I don't know about you, but I definitely identify with this story of Mephibosheth. When I think about the sacrifice that God has made for me, it doesn't make sense. When I think about the fact that not only does God forgive us, not only does God uh, take on the punishment that we deserved through Jesus Christ, but he also wants us to be his sons and daughters. He doesn't just leave us out there struggling on our own. He wants us to sit at his table. And it's not because of our merit. It's not because of our goodness. It's simply because God is good and God keeps his promises. Maybe today you're standing in need of one of those promises. Maybe today you're, you feel like perhaps Mephibosheth felt. And when God would stretch his arm out to you, and say, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your first response was much like Mephibosheth's, and you say, why? Why me, for such a dead dog as, as I? God, why would you do this for me? Yeah, it doesn't make sense based on your merit, but praise the Lord. That's not the judge of whether or not God does something. It's simply because God is good. God is love. God is infinitely filled with mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Why would you ever turn away from that type of love? When we say that we're too bad, what we're really saying is we're filling ourselves with pride. We think our badness is bigger than God's goodness. But it's not. This morning, today, there's nothing that can keep you from God. Let's spend a little time 
remembering who we were without him. Remembering this story of us out there struggling, hopeless. Someone telling us that good news that God wanted us to sit at his table. And even though our family had done him wrong, we had done him wrong, he wanted us to be as one of his child, children. Let's take some time to pray and thank him for that.